He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. But he says, Mike, let's talk about your P&Ls. So, all right, let's talk about my P&Ls. What do you want to know? He goes, what is the biggest number in the expense column? And I was like, uh, he said, well, what, what is the biggest number in the expense column? I was like, well, furniture, but I can't get rid of that. And, uh, you know, contractors, but I can't get rid of her. And uh, he goes, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear any of this, but what is the number? I said, it's furniture. He goes, get rid of it. And I was like, okay. Like in, and again, middle of the story, I'm in transition, arbitrage codes. I'm like, this is in line. If I stop buying furniture to set up a property and then paying the flat rate lease, then I don't pay furniture at all. I started co-host property $0 in. What's up, Slick Talkers? I want to do dynamic duo sponsorship placements for our partners, and the best dynamic duos I could put together for you are our first one of Hostfully and Minute. Now, you probably heard our Minute with Minute segment with Nathan Smith over at Minute. If I could say Minute a thousand times, then I will. But basically, if you are using Hostfully's property management platform, then you can go to their integration marketplace and turn on your integration with Minute. So that way, everything is operating seamlessly in your hub to run your business without any issues and headaches. It just is so nice to have proper integration partners together. And I couldn't be more thankful for these two partnering with us on the podcast. So make sure you check out the show notes because we have special offers just for you from both companies, Hostfully and Minute, because you're a listener of the podcast and they love taking care of our listeners. So Check out the links in the show notes. And of course, like always, thank you for tuning into the podcast. All right, Slick Talkers, we are back. Take two for this episode <laughs> to make it known that we do have times where technical difficulties do get us down. We have a great episode and then we find out, oh man, microphone wasn't working or this wasn't happening and we got to go redo it again in the future. So Mike Stone, welcome back to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. The first episode unaired, second episode made the cut. <laughs> How you doing, my friend? Oh, I'm good, man. It's great to be back. I appreciated the uh, re-invite. It was a great conversation the first time. I always love talking to you, but now it's uh, I, like I told you offline. I, I could I could hear the difference in the audio and why it's not high quality. And this is a very high quality podcast. So happy to redo it. Happy to be back, and uh, this will be fun. Yeah. Well, thank you to Kelsey, my producer, who makes the magic happen. She's the one that helps uh, with audio and quality control. So thank you, Kelsey. <laughs> You're a legend. All right. So Mike, you, you were a hundred percent correct. We did have a great conversation the first time. I want to try to tap into that energy because I, I truly enjoyed it. I think we had a lot of good takeaways. So let's start from the beginning. You're a former lawyer gone short-term rental hospitality entrepreneur. Yeah. Let's, let's hear from the beginning. Where does it all start for you, my friend? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, I forgot we started there in the first one, but yeah, no, I started this business about three years ago. I was, I was working as an attorney and I hated it. I was really good at law school and I loved law school. I had a lot of friends. I had really good internships. I, I found a ton of success. All three years, I really enjoyed being there. And then as soon as I graduated, real practice was not for me immediately. I worked for a judge first, which is a super coveted position. It's called a clerkship. And it's like, 
you know, cutthroat to get a position like that. And as soon as I got in, I was like, this is it. Like it's not, it wasn't that prestigious. It wasn't that valuable. I thought for the rest of my uh, education, the way they hyped it up to be. And so I was just off to a bad start. And then I went into a big firm practice and man, the hours are insane as everybody knows. And, you know, it just really wasn't the type of lifestyle I like. And so I, I told you last time, it was funny when I when I started that business, I knew day one that I wasn't going to last very long. But towards the end, after I'd already realized that it was time to quit and I had my date and everything, I was talking to one of the partners that I worked for on a defamation case. And he's sitting there with his big gut on his lap bragging about, you know, I've been doing this six days a week, 12 hours a day for 20 years. That's how you get good at this, this, this. And I was like, man, I just don't look up to you at all. Like nothing about you inspires me to work harder, do better, do more of this, certainly. And so in the Right after COVID, like right after the main wave of COVID, uh, I started this business when everyone was pent up. And so travel was, you know, everybody was traveling. Everybody was ready to travel on Airbnbs in particular because they wanted the extra yard. They wanted the kitchen. They wanted to be away from other people because it was still a little bit tense. And so Airbnb was on fire. Certainly here, I'm in Phoenix and Scottsdale, and it was amazing. So I had some really nice tailwinds to get me started and best decision I ever made. I mean, I, I remember phone calls with my boss while I was in transition mode in, in that February when he'd be calling me and I'd be out of breath carrying a couch. He's like, what are you up to? I was like, run some errands. Just getting it done. I'll be back to the office a little bit. Don't worry. Like, okay. Well, we got to get this motion out. I know. So <laughs> best, best decision I ever made to just take control of my own life and time and freedom and start building this empire. I'm obsessed now. So I remember my my kind of exit moment where I gave three weeks notice. I remember the couple months before where I was like, Hey, I, I think this is, this is my shot to go full time Yeah. for you. I like, I, I literally can remember as if it was yesterday and it was five years ago. Uh, I remember September 27th was the day I was like, okay, I need to make this happen. December 27th was the day that was my last day as a hotel operator and yep. going full time. And so like, I remember those moments. I remember the 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 gap in between from September to December mm -hmm. where I was like sink or swim, sink or swim, sink or right. swim. And then especially the December 28th, the next day when I woke up and I was like, shit, sink or swim, sink or swim, sink or swim. Yeah. Like it's like it was real, right? Like it became real. So when it comes to your moment, your I need to I need to make a change. Yeah. What was that? What was that day like for you? Let us relive that with you for a second. Well, so that that's awesome that you say it in such specificity. You even know your dates. I know my dates too. Like it's it's incredible how poignant those dates are because of how important it was to you at the time that you can mark it down to the single date. And so for me, it was, I remember March 20th was the start of a Tony Robbins business mastery that I wanted to attend and it was expensive. And so my goal was like, if I quit on the, if my last day was the 19th, so two weeks before that was March 5th, I was like, I have to be out by the 5th. I need to let them know by the 5th that I'm out. And that was my goal. And I pulled it off. And I just remember February 18th, I signed my first lease agreement for a fourplex that I was going to STR arbitrage. I no longer arbitrage now, I only co-host, but to get started, it was a great opportunity. And so I signed all four at once. And that's when I, you know, the phone call I was talking about, that was where the couches I was pulling off that February, uh, to, you know, to get it launched. March 2nd, I put up my first listing of the four and March 3rd was the second one. And then next you know, week, I pulled them all together. Man, it was, I had so much confidence making the exit that I'll hear people like, you know, what you were just saying, and even Alex Hormozzi talks about it all the time of how tough that transition was. I didn't, I didn't have much of that struggle because I hated what I was doing so much. It was, no, this is not it. I need something bigger and better than this. It has to be. 
So to your point, you know, sink or swim, sink or swim. I've always had a lot of, I wouldn't say trouble, but I had people influencing me in ways saying like, well, if it doesn't work out, you could always go back to being a lawyer. And I'm like, mm-hmm. A, there is no if it doesn't work out. And B, I'm never going to be a lawyer again. Maybe I'll represent myself for my own companies and hopefully I don't even have to, but I hope to be a liaison with other attorneys for good reasons in the future. I'm not looking to go represent other people's you know, uh, uh, litigation. So that wasn't an option for me. I'm not doing it again. So if there's no other W-2, I, you know, I joke around with some people in my STR mastermind. I'm like, you know, I'm not suddenly an Amazon dropshipper either. This is what mm-hmm. I do. I do STR and it's going to be successful. Yeah, no, I, I remember the the fighting the urge. I, I know you probably seen like this joke, you know, there's always that one person from your high school after they graduate, they like come back and revisit everybody. And it's like, what are you doing? Why are you here? Like, shouldn't you be yeah. at college or shouldn't you be at like a job or like, why are you back at high school? You graduated last year. Like, go, go away. Uh, and I, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I didn't hate my management job, but I did have moments of like, this sucks. If I could run this myself, I would do it. And I had to fight that urge of like, all right, don't go back. Like you quit. Don't go back to the, don't go back to the hotel. Don't go back to your hotel. So like, don't be that guy that goes back to high school after you graduated. Like this is graduation. Like you're supposed to figure out like sink or swim. And so I, I'm, I know you said you hated it, but like, was there ever a point throughout your business journey? You know, you COVID was, you know, what, three years ago when you're talking about March and, and, and February, I'm curious, has there been a, a moment during your journey where you, you kind of were like, oh, no, can't go back to high school. Don't go back to the high school. You graduated. Like, this is your your time. Like, there's it's not easy. I, I will say, like, a lot of people look at Slick Talk or Hospitality FM or any of my businesses that they're like, oh, dude, successful. Like, you're just overnight. Like, great. Like, that's so cool. And it's like, no, it's five years in the making. Oh, I- there's been a couple moments. I Like, the oh, shits, the am I going to make it tomorrow? What's going to happen? So like, I guess I'm curious for you on, on your end. Yeah, sure, man. I mean, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, the toughest thing that's happened to me in this business was one bad arbitrage deal. Two months after the first fourplex, I found another fourplex that was more expensive. And I, in my inexperience, equate, oh, it's more expensive to me. I could arbitrage it for more and make even maybe more profits. And it's obviously not how it works now, you know. So I lost a ton of money. I lost a ton of money and, and I was dedicated to that deal for a very long time thinking that, you know, Super Bowl and other things in the future of, of those listings here in Phoenix and Scottsdale would have been, I thought that would have been successful, you know, after we got through this, after we got, and it's just, you know, I was just getting hosed. And so there it's, it's tough. I literally at that point, there was a point when I lost more money than I owned to my name. And so I was horrifically in debt. So I've been climbing out of it successfully for a while since and i've released those four leases and you know it's things are getting better obviously uh, pretty quickly and and I'm, I'm happy to be where i'm at i'm grateful to be where i'm at but i'm only where i'm at because of fighting through that and man it it was tough it was tough it would never once though never once did i consider quitting or giving up or any of that it was always like the, when when my dad would say something about you know getting a job or getting a side like you don't understand even a side hustle is a distraction to the hours that i could be putting into figuring out how to fix this so there was no, there was no weak moment. There was no weak moments from, from day one. This is what I do. And that's, that's why I was able to get through some pretty damaging things. It's, you know, other things too, to your point. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not just the one that's one good example. Cause it was, you know, a pecuniary issue it was expensive. And mm-hmm. I think that that's relatable to people who invest and get into a bad spot, but uh, you know, plenty of other things too, where you just hit with situations and betrayals and you know, the people not following through on what they say, 
And it, sometimes it's not even to the malicious extent of betrayal, but it's like, yeah, man, I just want hundred percent of the money to do 80% of the job. And you're talking to a tradesman mm -hmm. and you're like, yeah, but I need the rest of the 20% done. So how are we going to figure this out? And it's just a battle. It's a battle. It's a battle. But at no point is it like, well, let me stop fighting. It's like, okay, so let me figure this out. And then how do I figure it out? So I don't have to figure it out again to the extent that's possible in this business. Yeah. And I, I agree there. There's a lot of, I think, especially most entrepreneurs in the beginning of their journey, when they go into the full-time swing, I think your trust levels are probably higher because you, you think, okay, yeah. you're on this high, right? Like you left your job or you, you have traction, you have like this in. kind of like, you're like, no, this is great. And then like, everyone wants to work with you. And then you just like, yeah, this sounds great. Like everything's an opportunity. Yeah. And then you realize like, oh, like they just saw like a, a train to ride and like they wanted to hop on for a little bit to jump off yeah. five exits deep. And, yeah. and that's not what you're looking for. And because I had, had that experience for sure. Like the day I left, I actually had you know some people that were going to be on my team and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And they showed their true colors real, real quick. Wow. And so, you know, now, you know, going into entrepreneurial journeys and ups and downs on the roller coaster ride that it is, you can be like pretty, like pretty accurate. The moment you decide like, no, nope, or yeah, like this person's right. good. Like your, your BS reader gets a lot better, <laughs> but I, yeah, yeah well, I want to, I want to run through, through this with you because you know, I'm, I'm not a believer in arbitrage at all. I know okay. there's some people that like love and preach it and will sing it off the, you know, the mountaintops. Yep. I think it's the most unsustainable thing that we could do in our short-term rental, like industry or a segment of the, the hospitality pie, big believer in management and yeah. ownership and you know, all yep. this other stuff. But I would love to know for you, you know, what were your biggest, like, what's your biggest, differentiators or takeaways from going from arbitrage to co-host or I, I don't even like the word co-hosting either, but like I look at as property management, right? Like yep. is if you don't have a property management software and you know, dynamic pricing and all these things, right? Like you're, you're just building a revenue stream that's only going to last for as long as Airbnb allows it. Right. Like right. Or Verbo. I would love to know like your kind of like understanding of both sides. Sure. That's, that's a great question. And I am actually in a pretty good position to talk about that specifically. I'm going to start with, the middle of the story because there's a point that I want right up front. Friend of mine, good friend from law school, one of my best friends in life for now years. And he is a multimillionaire commercial real estate investor. He focuses more like he'll plug in Starbucks and Dutch bros, nothing to do with our hospitality type of stuff. But he, as a real estate investor, gives me good business advice. And sometimes I have to take it with a grain of salt when he doesn't understand our niche and that's fine. But to the extent that he has good business advice, this was something that he told me. And Again, it's in the middle of the story. I'm already in transition from arbitrage to co-host, but he says, Mike, let's talk about your P&Ls. I said, all right, let's talk about my P&Ls. What do you want to know? He goes, what is the biggest number in the expense column? And I was like, uh, he said, well, what, what is the biggest number in the expense column? I was like, well, furniture, but I can't get rid of that. And, uh, you know, contractors, but I can't get rid of her. And uh, he goes, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear any of this, but what is the number? I said, it's furniture. He goes, get rid of it. And I was like, Okay. Like in, and again, middle of the story, I'm in transition, arbitrage codes. I'm like, this is in line. If I stop buying furniture to set up the property and then paying the flat rate lease, then I don't pay furniture at all. I started co-host property $0 in. He goes, okay, what's next? I said, well, rent. He goes, perfect. There you go. Stop paying rent. So how do I stop paying rent? Well, I could tie up some leases and I got rid of the four bad ones. Six of them, I'm having incredible success. So I'm going to leave them. But the, the risk profile still doesn't make any more sense. It just happens to be a good deal. So now whatever. So that's, that was arbitrage codes. It's like, how do you cut that off? Before that, to go back to the beginning of the story is 
I mean, when I'm in this deal, I was, I was supposed to get these four luxury two bedroom units, August 2nd, which is the right before, I mean, it's in our summer, but like I'd stage it, it'd have a rough first month. And then September, October would start just ramping up and up. I capture all of the winter busy season for Phoenix and Scottsdale, especially February and March when we make ridiculous money compared to the rest of the year, ridiculous money compared to anything. Uh, and so I was really excited for that. And then because of construction delays and a series of, let's say misrepresentations, if not blatant lies, I was kind of strung along, but anticipating this to be a good property later. So I stayed strung along for nine months and they gave it to me April 20th. Now that starts our summer. So I had first four awful months when nobody's really traveling in a hundred degrees to Phoenix and Scottsdale. That's not a thing. So it was a battle. Certainly they're not paying luxury prices and I'm losing money month over month. And I'm realizing quickly too, it's not just like, even when the properties themselves as an individual unit would cash flow positive, even when I got a good midterm rental in there, which I'm excellent at, or, you know, just an old guest that I plugged back in and got good prices. So they're not looking on Airbnb, whatever it was, it, it still was just like, it wasn't enough. I wasn't making enough to make it worth all the effort and the work. And I'm losing more than I'm making. And I'm looking into the future to make money. It's like, it, it didn't make sense. What I realized around then was that when you pivot to co-hosting, I was, I was adamant that arbitrage was better because on a per property basis, you'd make more money and that that would have a better chance to cover the rest of the business overhead that isn't on a per property basis. And I remember realizing like, well, if I go to co-hosting, I don't have to focus on this property that I can afford to furnish this fourplex of two bedrooms. It's like, well, it's, why not get four, five bedrooms and let the owners furnish it and then improve their cash flow so they're making more money than they would if I was arbitraging anyway, so they're even happier. So co-hosting, instead of thinking like, well, I can make this door will make me $2,000 net co uh, arbitraging and only $1,200 if I co-host, you're still probably better off co-hosting because that's a $1,200 to zero risk profile. And so I think the, the transition is a no-brainer. And so interestingly, now I, I am talking, using the same theory again, I'm looking back across my P&Ls, what's the most expensive thing in this business? And I'm like, well, maybe it's marketing, maybe it's software, maybe a thousand here, a thousand there, what's all my costs? And I was like, you know, if I just call it operating expenses, that's my biggest expense. So now I'm going to make another shift and I'm actually pivoting now to more of an educational model where I'm going to teach people how to run their own Airbnb, one to three properties on their own in two to four hours a week. So they don't need any property manager. So mm -hmm. I'm making this transition from arbitrage to co-hosting to education because it's just better for business. <clears throat> so when I say, when you ask, you know, what's the difference arbitrage and co-hosting? I mean, it's, it's all the upfront money and all the upfront risk is on you and you don't get any ownership. I get the, the natural risk profile of paying your mortgage and covering that. But when you're covering someone else's mortgage, it's totally different. You're not building equity and you're not getting tax uh, savings. You're not cost segging anything. There's just nothing. Cost segging is that? I don't think you say that, but <laughs> whatever it is. So anyway, that's, that's why I'm adamantly co-host now. Yeah. So I, I want to play, I want to throw a hardball at you because I want to, I'm going to set the, set the, the tone for a lot of our listeners who do tune into this podcast. Uh, I would say are more on like the traditional vacation rental manager side, right? They've been in the industry 15, 20, 25 years. Mm -hmm. They're in one destination. They've built a brand. They've got, you know, repeat customers. They maybe even have an in-person office, right? Where it's the, that you can have check-in, you have your teams, you have your headquarters, the whole thing, right? Like sure. it's not just on Airbnb or co-hosting. It's like a legit, like scaled, you know, yeah. 200, 300, whatever. Yeah. Um, so the reason why I want to throw this at you, because I want your opinion, I, I will remain Switzerland, but 
in the sense of with that listenership kind of base and that model, they look usually to like co-hosts or Airbnbers as we, you know, quote unquote, hmm. as kind of what's ruining short-term rentals or vacation rental industry because of inconsistency standards, you know, they're usually working a job. And so of course, when you're in meetings or running around, you're not able to respond to guests and then guests get pissed off. And then yeah. that, then maybe they have bad guests come in and then it creates a whole ordinance issue and there's a party and now your neighbors hate you. And like that, like all of it just comes crumbling down, which of course, this is a very dark side, like crazy, you know, thinking of not all the time does this happen, but it does happen. So when it comes to that, like traditional operator, and they look at this, you know, Airbnb hustle as just something that shouldn't be happening. What's your thoughts when it comes to how you're building your business and looking at like Airbnb platforms, building a scaling a business in either one or multiple destinations? I would love to know your your thoughts because a lot of times like the words co-host arbitrage, like that's not really what they talk about. It's management, right? They're a property manager. They, they create hospitality experiences that all the above. So I would love to know what your what your thinking and kind of perspective is with all this. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's 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 multi-layered, a little bit complex, but I'll I'll unpack it how I think uh it, it just hit me now. The first thing that struck me is yes, you're mentioning you know two to three hundred units and they're certainly hyper professional. And I still, with less units, would like to align myself with them and say, yeah, I agree. Unprofessional hosts are ruining Airbnb in the sense that this is the largest industry. How is it? Multi-billion dollar. That is not standardized. You won't get that at Marriott or any of their competitors. You won't get that if you're getting a traditional property management rental that's nothing to do with an STR. You get, hey, this is the house. This is, it's on Zillow. This is the agent. It's, it's a process. You kind of know what you get. It doesn't work that way when you bring unprofessional hosts into the mix. And so there's a couple branch off points that, that I'll, I'll take here. The first being that I consider myself a professional host. I consider myself the best in the market in the sense that on any given unit, I could do the same thing that Vacasa is doing. And I would actually argue that because I care more, because I'm a mid-sized company, that I could actually do better than those complaining professional hosts. I'll respect we, that. We, we maybe won't label Vacasa as doing the best job of servicing hospitality. They're not doing the greatest right now. That's, <laughs> but, that's yeah, exactly no, I totally, yeah. So yeah, that, that's exactly one of the segues that I was going to go into is the, the hospitality provision. If you're that big, it's kind of you're lacking because everybody to you is a contract and I'm you speaking to the Vacasas, you know, and everybody the evolve to you, to them, to those types of entities, the client is a contract. And if they cancel the contract, it's not a big deal. There's hundreds. So it doesn't matter to me as to anybody with, let's say 10 to 50, your property matters to me more than it does to Vacasa. So I need your revenue to build my business. I need my commission. That's selfishly. And then because I care about you, I probably have more of a relationship with you. You're not just a contract. You're Steve. You're my guy. We talk on the phone. I call my clients. We have conversations mid-month that have nothing to do with owner reports. There's nice people. One of them is one of my best friends. It's like, it's, it's just to have that level of investment into someone else's property is what makes that property successful. That's what people should be looking for. And so I would say, like, yes, the people with these, the companies, the entities, and, and the, the, with the 200, 300 units, they're correct. But I align with them. Let's have standardization. At least they are probably more standardized than the mom and pop shops. At the same time, I'm a big fan of the open market. And I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with the mom and pops making their money. I was a mom and pop to start. A lot of the big ones were mom and pops to start. 
And every mom and every pop is, has their right to money. That's their property. That's their investment. And that's how they're bringing about their own financial freedom, whatever their goals are. So I don't think anyone has the right to uh, dismiss unprofessional hosts from this industry. I just agree that, yeah, it doesn't leave a horrible taste in the guest's mouth. To that end, I think the solution is coaching. And I know the same guy, the rich guy I was talking about a minute ago uh, uh, with the commercial properties, he, he said to me the other day when I was telling him about my new business um, that he's like, man, there are people who believe in coaches and courses, and there are people who don't. He's one who does not. I'm one who very, 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 very much does. And I imagine a lot of the types of listeners on this podcast would align with that and believe in coaching and believe in cutting, turning decades into days, whether it's mainstream like Tony Robbins, Alex Hormozzi, or if it's more specified, which is where I'm going with this in particular, getting coaching from Mike Shogren as a, that's a specific, call it a testimonial or a plug. Mike Shogren mm -hmm. will teach you how to do this professionally. The whole Airbnb business. Getting coaching, my first guy was Sean Rockajich. He taught me the Airbnb app better than anyone who knows it on the planet. I get one-on-one -on -one coaching from Julie George. She built her portfolio to 130 properties in three years, sold it for millions of dollars. Like there's people who know how to cultivate success and genuinely care about bringing that to other people. And Julie, I mean, one-on-one, -on -one, that's, that's as intimate as a coaching relationship can get. And she has so much investment in me. It's incredible. I can ask her questions all the time that are specific to my business. And she knows every detail. She knows every employee. She knows every situation. She knows my cash position. She knows how to actually help me because it's, I've gotten that, that mentorship. And so she'll build my org chart and my documents. And now it's professional. Then I go to Shogren and it's that group style. I got masters of every specific discipline. This is for deal analysis. This is for ops and the mechanical things. This is for growth. You know, there's so much that Shogren offers in his complete program that you can become a professional host, provide that standardization and not miss. So yeah, I don't have 200, 300 units, but I do have a 4.98 rating on Airbnb after three years. So I know what I'm doing and I can provide that level of hospitality for the guests. All right. So you're trying to grow your portfolio and your property management business, but sometimes owners don't have the best peace of mind when it comes to giving up the keys to their home to an unknown brand or company. And of course, let's be honest. Sometimes we hear the horror stories of guests and the bad guests that stay in vacation rentals and throw parties. Well, safely as you covered, because not only do they screen your guests that are staying, but they also ensure that you are covered from all things such as ill intent, stupidity, aka vacation brain, and other things like pet damage and theft. While doing that, you are able to partner with Vintory and grow your portfolio with their marketing platform that helps ensure that you are attracting the right owners to your rental program and growing your business in the destination that you are in. Or if you're in multiple destinations, that works too. So get the links in the show notes because both companies have special offers. And if you don't use a link, but you end up talking to them, guess what? Just tell them that Will Slicker sent you from Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, and they'll get you covered. And you can also let them know that maybe you've heard of them on our platform, hospitality.fm. So of course, like always, make sure you grab the links in the show notes. And thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now. Back to the episode. I love it. Great, great answer. And, you know, kind of a perfect segue from what we talked about last time on the first take of the episode yes. uh, going into, you, you know, you talk about all these coaching programs that you're in. We even talked about books, which I actually want to bring back up that yeah, discussion sure. on, on your, your ability to study so well during college and, <laughs> and law school, you know, the tips and tricks around that, because it's like one of my biggest struggles. So, you know, going into 
let's not talk about the coaching for a second. Like coaching, cool. yes, that's like the part, but I want to know more of like what you know. A lot of these people, and Avery Carl was on the podcast, and we talked about it. She, I know she does coaching and other stuff, but she kind of even dogged on it, like. Oh, dude, everyone just thinks they can make this content that has fancy captions and logos and you know graphics stuff and become a coach and, and and then immediately charge you 10 grand to sign up and do this and do yeah. that. And then no one gets any real worth out of it or they're teaching complete garbage. That's very right. surface level. So you're paying 10 grand. That's it. It, it, it just becomes a very big turnoff. And that's like where I, I've stood in that position. I, like I know Julie George and Mike and Bill and all these guys have their programs, but I've immediately, like when I got in, in 2018, 2019, I saw a couple of those 10 grand to sign up and do this and you'll get that. And it was complete garbage, complete yeah. garbage. So just kind of like from the perspective of the value that you're getting, yeah. beyond the coaching i would love to know like what's your kind of perspective on that because you are in so many from industry ones to your tony robbins stuff that you mentioned and, yeah, yeah. and so on and so forth yeah absolutely i'm happy to talk on it because i think that changed everything about how i approach this business and i think my success is dependent upon the mentors that i've had and again yeah it starts mainstream tony robbins inspired me to do more with my life and quit a w2 okay what does that lead to is well i learned about investing which first i was obsessed with stocks before i even looked at real estate so you know it's all a progression but it you know i Tony Robbins in my ear every time I listen to the audiobook of do more and do more and do more in the way that he delivers it. And then you find another coach and they deliver it differently. And then some of them are more mechanical the way Hormozzi is, you know, I don't consider Hormozzi a coach, but he's my influencer because I follow him. The way to do it is the right way is his way. So that's, that's one thing, just there's validation and knowing what you're doing is the right thing to do. And you can kind of stay focused and move forward knowing that you have like, uh, what do they call that in the bowling alley? The, the bumpers, you know, it's like you have bumpers, like, it's what you're doing is complete. You're not missing anything and what you're doing is correct. So just keep moving forward. So there's, there's like self-confidence and validation that comes from having those support groups. There's certainly the, the networking and the relationships that you build. You very quickly learn if people are authentic and good at what they're doing when you have real conversations with them past the content, which I'll get to in a sec. Uh, and so being in these groups outside of the coaching, you meet the right people. And you meet the people who you want to align with. I have a reading group. I read every morning with, I mean, there's like 40 of us in the group, like eight show up consistently every morning, five, six, seven, whatever 30 it is for your time zone. And we're up and we're reading about mindset. And it's like, well, these are the people I met through Shogren's mastermind because it's my kind of people, people who align with my, my, you know, tribal cries. So this is where I'm going with my life, you know, where I've plenty of other people say, oh, you don't need coaching or you don't even need to, you shouldn't even be an entrepreneur. Why, why don't you have a job? You just got your law degree. You don't have student debt. Like make the noise. I'm doing this and my coaches have validated it and I'm going to keep doing this because I've seen their success. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, of that. And then I'm calling the people who I met from those coaches and saying, Hey, would you do this differently? And they're like, Oh, I do it totally differently. Try this. It's way better. Or definitely don't use that company. That guy isn't right. You know? And so it, it just streamlines the mistakes and gets you so much farther ahead. And the unfortunate part is exactly to your point and Avery Carl's point about the fake coaching on Instagram. I was talking about this with, with my buddy this morning. Who I'm partnering with on this next business is the, there's so many coaches who do exactly what you say. They post this surface level content and there's no uniqueness to the coach. That's, that's, I think is going to be my solution to it. There's no uniqueness because it's, it is only surface level. Here's how you set up an Airbnb. What advice are you going to give about setting up an Airbnb that somebody doesn't already know from the content that exists? You're the one telling them that interior design is important these days. You're the one telling them the market's a little slim. You got to run your numbers. Like those words are, are maybe a hook, 
And then the retention and the reward of the content should be, well, here's how you solve that for your clients and end up making more money. That's, it has to be more to it than that. And a lot of coaches just don't do that. They'll tell you, hey, I can get you in, but it's almost like they're using content as an advertisement for their own educational content. I call Sean Rockajich my OG. It's not actually true. I secretly had a coach before that who I paid $1,000 and I don't name him because I don't ever want to have bad blood in this industry. It's too small and too fun. I love everybody. But this one guy, I felt like he ripped me off of $1,000 for a course that didn't actually say much of anything. The, the cleaning section was, yeah, you guys got out of a maid's closet. Imagine that was all you knew about turnovers for Airbnb. Have a maid's closet. Will do. You know, so it's like, and then this guy's getting, he plays the volume game. It's only a thousand bucks, but if he sells it to a thousand people, now he's making money. So, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to discern who's good. It's imperative that you take the extra time to do it and sift. And, and that's really the best thing is just have that cunning eye that cuts through, be shrewd and cut through the bullshit. And to that end, one way that I think you can solve that is look for the coach with the USP, the unique selling point or unique selling proposition that is specific to them, makes them better than anybody else. So for example, I'll just rattle a couple and your listeners can literally just write these names down if they want, because this is who I strongly recommend and vouch for, for whatever that's worth. Sean is the best at the Airbnb app. There's nobody better who could beat that app and that algorithm. Mike Shogren is the best, most complete mastermind on the market. It has the most sub coaches who are phenomenal in their own right, teaching what they are best at. Sales guy teaching sales, deal analysis guy is a numbers guy. It's the best and has everything you need. His Mike's own master VA hires, trains, and, and offers VAs to his mastermind students and then has its own sub course weekly of how to automate your business using VAs. Shogun has everything covered. Julie is the best for one-on-one -on -one where it's going to get intimate into your business facts. What's going on with you? Shogun just doesn't offer that. Sean can on weekly calls, but it's not the same as having like your one-on-one -on -one time with Julie. TJ Tajani is now the guy for transitioning from apartments into boutique hotels. Like that's, Shogun's also doing a lot with boutique hotels, but TJ arbitrages and converts apartment complexes to boutique hotels. And he does, he's had a lot of success with arbitrage too. That's a great person to talk to as well as Sean. You know, Noble Crawford, he's the government guy. Specifically, if you want to learn about government contracts and midterm rentals, that's the guy. Luxury midterm rentals, Dr. Rachel Gainsborough. Like there, there are these names, Mark Simpson, direct bookings, Jesse Vasquez, midterm rentals generally for travel medical. Like these people teach one thing. They don't say, I'm going to teach you how to get rich on Airbnb. That's like, notice the difference. So now I'm trying to put, create content for the first time and I'm collating a ton of stuff in a vault before I start posting so that I can be consistent. I want, you know, 30, 50 in the vault before I start. And so it's like, what do I know that the next guy doesn't know? Midterm rentals. I'm an expert, 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 expert. I know everything about midterm rentals and I get a phenomenal midterm rental guest flow. I have contractual preferred partnerships with massive companies like ALE Solutions and, and, and other companies where we have the relationship. I get right of first refusal of certain guests. I'm about to close today. I'm, I, it's, I'm going to close today a contract that's going to make me 60 grand from a luxury midterm rental because of my preferred partnership with ALE. And so it's like, that's something that I can offer people that Shogrin and Julie and even Rachel and, and, and even Jesse in some capacities are not talking about because Jesse's focused on travel medical where I'm more insurance relocation and a little bit of government, but I'll leave that content to Noble because I know that's not my discipline. So kind of a long rambling answer, but I hope that was a list that was helpful for people to say, okay, I need this. Let me go find someone who does this specifically. Yeah. And a lot of them been on the show. So like, of course, getting for, from the listener's perspective, if you find the names, go listen to those episodes. But I want to 
I want to ask you, I won't ask for all 10, but Brooke Foss, CEO, founder of Vintory, yeah. is a marketing platform that helps you grow your, your property management portfolio and the great sponsors of the show. He wrote a book, the top, you know, top 10 secrets, basically the, the, the vacation rental secrets book, where he interviews about 58 of the biggest leaders in our industry cool. and goes over their top 10 mistakes over the years, like, <laughs> like not successes, mistakes. <clears throat> and so I would love to know from you, what would you say? Like, you don't have to give me top 10, but what would you say like top, top lessons learned throughout the journey? Wow, I'm in the middle of getting punished right now for this lesson. So I'll start with documenting your SOPs from the beginning. I am getting punished for the last six months for not doing this for the last three years. And in some ways, you know, things develop and it's a living document and it changes and that's fine. But to have a structure in the beginning, I think is really helpful. There's things that now I'm just, I'm just doing one giant homework assignment instead of just chipping away over time. So I would say if you're building this business, depending on your goals, I guess it doesn't apply probably to everybody. But if you are trying to hire VAs and a team around you to do the job so that you can automate this business, because I know that's a really, really common goal in this industry is automate the business so that you can have that financial freedom, you know, then it's, it's, you have to document it. You have to have it in a way that you can express to other people and to be more specific, the better advice in there, because that's a little surface level, the better advice from the people that I've learned in the mastermind is the feedback loop. Specifically, you need something, not just to have SOPs and a teammate, whether it's a VA or a local. I prefer locals, but I need to hire a VA soon, to be honest. Um, but what, what if you can't just have an SOP and say, please do this, because I've handed an SOP to a very smart local and then she got most of it done. And that was 80% of the job for 100% of the time, effort, and money. So it really, you need to have a feedback loop that shows, hey, this wasn't done and it's due. It either is past due or coming up and there's a reminder and there's alerts and there's checks and there's balances. It has to be systematic and developed in a way where there's a feedback loop that it actually automates itself because it's not trying something and then making sure it worked and if it didn't work, calling you. And, and, or something that got forgotten. You know, I had issue last week, something as simple as trash. Neighbor's mad that we didn't take out the trash. Well, where's the feedback loop? I have the, this is one SOP that I don't have the feedback loop. I have an entire list. These are all the properties and all the trash days. What good is that if no one's reading it? So there has to be a, a trigger. Ding, today's Thursday. Michelle on Warpaint Street needs to be updated. Uh, taking the trash out. Tomorrow's recycle, whatever. Just things like that. If you build those in with alerts and, and human checks and automation checks, that's what I'm obsessed with lately is, is getting the SOPs right. Another mistake we already touched on, so I won't go too deep, is just arbitrage. There's just mm -hmm. no need, guys. Guys, if there's enough resources in today's educational market in this industry to find good co-hosting materials and you can use co-hosting to create enough cash flow to buy your next investment property and build your business that way. Don't take on somebody else's risk for your own small reward. I would also say a lot of my mistakes were in team management. I'm working on leadership. If you can tell by how I conduct myself, like I'm very, this is what I'm doing. And so you're either like on the train or you're in the way of the train. And it's mm -hmm. sometimes not the best way to deliver with you know, with a team, I'm not, I'm not really great at the integrator role. I'm more of that visionary where are we going as opposed to the integrator. Yeah. Like, here's how we do it. Lead, manage, and hold people accountable. So I'll say those are my top three things that I can improve. To touch on the SOP thing, I want to get your sure. perspective because we talked about it, about talking about it in the earlier part of the episode. But, you know, you were great at law school and being able to study and create like a system around retaining yeah. the information that you needed to know. And I know a lot of us, like you just said, I'm a visionary. I just hired an integrator and 
Good you know, you. having like dude, it's a game changer. <laughs> but like having, I don't know, because like I never had that. Like I always heard it, right? I always heard you document your process, document your process, do this. I'm like you very much, and not maybe not the get on the train or you're in the way of the train, but I'm very like, okay, you can't you can't do this right now. Great, I'm gonna do it because this needs to be done right now. Yeah, that um, I can agree with for sure. Yeah. Totally. And and so like I struggle with that and I have to like give up and like, all right, we're not like, you know, we're not solving, you know, world hunger right now. Yeah, yeah. So when it comes to the way you were able to study and, and build out systems around how you retain this information, do you have any like tips or tricks around that specific, uh, I guess, like tactic or, or gift that you have that maybe a listener today could, yeah. could apply to their business? Sure. Yeah. I'm happy to speak on that. Um, and I'll touch on it as a matter of intake of information and then, you know, into the output of, and of creating the SOPs and systems, which is a little bit more complex in my mind, which may not be true for everybody, but that's kind of how I feel about it. Law school is nothing short of brainwashing. It's sometimes in a good way. Like I think I got a lot of value out of it, irrespective of being a lawyer. The skills are transferable in a way that I would actually tell most lawyers, your skill set is probably more lucrative outside of the practice of law. And so just from an intake of information standpoint during school, that's I've always been intellectually gifted. I've always been top of my classes. So there's there's that element of a baseline. But when you get to law school, they teach you how to reconfigure the wording or the order that you read or the order that you think through the information. And so I'll give that as, as a tip and make that a little bit clearer than how I just said it. And uh, hopefully it'll be useful and actionable for, for people. I literally have this now in chat GPT. You can do custom instructions for how you want them to respond to your prompts and tell them a little about yourself. So chat GPT knows about my vacation rental business and knows that I want my answers given in this type of way, whenever it's applicable, this way is called the IRAC system. And every lawyer who just heard this just sighed. And it's exhausting, but it's, it's when you think through it that way, it's so much easier to cut through bullshit. So IRAC stands for issue, rule, analysis, and conclusion. I would even, I'll just go crazy into my brain now. I would color code it. Issue and conclusion are question and answer. Those are blue. It's the same thought. The rule is pink. Then facts of the situation was yellow always because I was above that in my prompts in school. And then the, so the rule of what's the law or like what's the case say that the judge wrote that interprets the law. So now basically that's going to be what the law is the next time they read this. And so that's, that's all in the pink. What is a must that cannot change? And then orange was my analysis. The A is how do you apply the rule to your situation? Or actually the better way to say is how do you apply the facts to the rule? Cause the rule is unchanging your facts. You can change, you can think through, you can manipulate, but the rule is the rule. What can't change is the baseline. You use that as a spine to figure out the rest. And that's how you get to your conclusion. So as an example, if something comes up where you're trying to let's, okay. So, so here's, here's a conversation I was having yesterday. I met with a realtor who I want to establish a relationship with, and I'm meeting with a client. I'm just going off the top of my head now, but I'm going off a meeting with her client. She's trying to take over this listing. He wants to get $12,500 a month for this listing. It's a three bedroom in Phoenix and it won't happen. He thinks he can. I, I don't know why it's not my problem. So he is, you know, the issue is that this guy is looking for property management. The reality, maybe that's better than rule because it's not a law. The reality, I actually like that, is there's no shot that STRMTR makes this guy this amount of money. That's not a thing. And long-term rental, I don't think so either. So that could be in that guaranteed section, but it's it, maybe it's better in the fact section section because in his mind, it's absolutely the case. And in my mind, it's not. So now that's a little bit arguable. But we do know that short-term, mid-term rentals, AirDNA showing 80000 a year 
So after cleaning fees, if he's keeping 5,000 a month with no property manager, 5,000 is not 12,500 and he wants to hire me and I charge 25% of rent revenue, not top line revenue, but rent revenue. So I told him, I was like, I have to make you $17,000 a month on a three bedroom so that after my fees, it's worth it for you compared to your imaginary long-term renter who's paying you 12,500 and I'm seeing on AirDNA 5,000. I'm sure I can beat 5,000. Uh, well, that's actually net to him. So 25% fees, he's keeping like 3,300 bucks, 3,700 bucks. So the analysis that we're doing in that, in that discussion yesterday with me, the realtor, my manager and the client, potential client, I'm going through it and I'm explaining to him, these are the hard line things that you can't change. I can't give you what you're asking for. You can talk to another property manager. And I told him about situations I'm in where other property managers come in. Oh yeah, I'll make you 200 grand. And then six months after getting yelled at for why they're not, they're like, I'm sorry. And then the contract's over and then they made money, but unethically. So I'm like, look, this happens. I'm not here to take advantage of you. So these are the hard rules. The analysis is what do we do? Well, I say list it on Zillow because if you list it on Zillow, then you'll at least get the inbound inquiries for what LTR market should be. And we'll prove if you're right about 12.5 or if you're not, because if you're only getting inquiries at seven, then you're not talking about 12.5 anymore. You know, that's, that's it. I said, what, uh, another, another quick switch back to the hard line rule. I said, what's your payment? Payment you can't change. He goes, actually, I own outright. So I'm competing against zero. Good. That's excellent. I'm competing at zero, but you're making me compete against 12.5. So let's go justify 12.5 by putting it on Zillow. Put your money where your mouth is. Continue the analysis. What about MTR, STR? I could do it. That's why I asked your payment. I'll beat zero, but you have to relieve me of the responsibility to beat 12.5 because that's not the reality. So this analysis is now I can give you what you want if you go the long-term rental market and you're correct. I could give you some money if we do it this way and my method and I get into my whole sales pitch of how I combine midterm rentals as my primary strategy and su supplement it with STR just in the gaps to fill vacancies, optimize revenue. That's all the analytical stuff of why my company is better than the next company. Then I explained to him, you know, I'm doing 25% off of top off of rent revenue. Industry standard is top line revenue because people say it's easier to calculate. It's not fucking easier. It's math. It's two extra buttons on the calculator. You just want more money to say, well, I manage the cleaners and I manage your taxes. And I explain how I don't do that. I think that's a little bit unethical and I charge off rent revenue. That's what I earn you. The cleaning fee goes to the cleaners. And so it's like, oh, okay, so that's all the analysis stage. So that's all good. And I said, and now I have this whole new product, this whole new business. It's called, well, yesterday it was called Airbnb Launch, but uh, we couldn't take that brand name. So now we're doing STR Ignite. We're teaching you all the systems. I'm giving you the playbook, $7,500. You don't need a manager at all because if you knew what I knew, you would be working this property in two to four hours a week. Don't hire any manager because the reality is that there's not enough room. In, well, I guess actually the analysis, the reality is like, this is what I can make you. These are the numbers. The analysis is I can't make you enough money that there's enough room for both of us in this deal. So conclusion, list on LTR websites, and then let me know if it's important to you to beat 12.5 or to beat your payment, which is zero, and let me know if we want to get started. So now I walk into the whole thing. So what's your problem? Start with the pain point. What's going on here? What can't change? What can we change? And then what does that mean for us? So IRAC, yeah. issue rule analysis conclusion. I think like that. I read like that. When I read like that, it, I skim through paragraphs that just say nothing. And it's almost like we're talking about with coaches with shallow content. It's like there's so many books that I can read the title of the book and I know what the book says. Who, not how? Everyone loves that book, Dan Sullivan. If you know who, not how, you can guess every other paragraph in that book. Maybe it goes into more detail if you want it. Go ahead. But I'd rather read a book that's more like outwitting the devil. You can't learn from the title what that means, but you get into the nitty gritty and now it's you know applicable stuff. So that's, that's how I like to read and think, and it makes things more efficient in book selection and even just while I'm reading. 
gonna say it's really interesting because uh i'm trying to get better at being a good reader so this is a really good thing that i can actually maybe apply <laughs> very cool stuff man like it's great to to see the applications and i love that you can handle these hard some hardball questions just because you know, I, I want i want to bring this conversation to light i think it's really cool to see how these two quote-unquote sides of the industry mm-hmm. can really you know learn from each other and i think you've learned a ton after yeah. you and i got to meet during the level up your listing conference i know we met up at julie george's dinner and, and got yeah. to hang out and, and sit at the table together so I just want to say thanks for being on the podcast and for, for sharing what you what you brought. For all the listeners, where can they find you if they want to connect? I would love for people to hit me up on Instagram the most. I get a long sea of Facebook DMs that I just don't, I can't keep up with even the people I really like. So I'm sorry. I just, instead of going to Facebook Purgatory, hit me up on at Mike Stone Group on Instagram. And I'll be starting to post more content soon on midterm rentals. I think I could really add a lot of value to this market. Everyone's making the shift now in the down market with Airbnb struggles or just bad buys. There's so many people who just bought poorly. And then yeah. they come to me. I get so many calls. Hey, I have this house. How can we do? You know, and it's so disheartening. So I think with this dramatic shift to midterm rentals, I really know a ton. I know things about travel medical, but I do better with insurance relocation, government. My manager, Ava Kate, is working on getting construction contracts, both government and private. So I, I'm going to start pr- producing a lot more content about midterm rentals and helping people get them. And I also want to create a platform where I could send people my midterm rentals. I'm probably going to connect that to my new business where I'm giving people SOPs and I'm just done for you. You don't need a property manager kind of business. So find me on at Mike Stone Group. That'll be the best. I I do check my Instagram DMs and I keep up with them pretty well. Nice. I love it. Well, you heard it here first. Slick Talkers, make sure you like and subscribe all things Mike Stone Group. Get connected with Mr. Mike Stone over here. And like always, we'll see you guys again next week. Well, I appreciate it, man. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast possible. We hope you enjoy the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week.